This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Mangled clumps of metal, the aftermath of what the local UDR... The police here in Castle Street when the shooting happened. Part-timer Albert Cooper was killed instantly when the booby-trapped estate car was blown apart. The device which the IRA claimed contained two pounds of Semtex had been planted underneath the RUC man's car. was hit several times in the upper body. 302 members of the RUC were killed by terrorist action between 1969 to 1998. As a police officer, can I just say that I'm numbed by the brutal slaying of my two colleagues and at this particular time our thoughts and our sympathies are with the families of the lives of 198 members of the UDR were also taken with a further 62 killed after they left the regiment or and left the left the regiment to spend more time with his family you know he was in fact a place of William he was mur- murdered in front of myself my they all left shattered families behind. Widows, widowers, parents and children. And for that seven and a half years that I had my dad, I have so many happy memories. And then obviously when daddy was murdered, then that was taken away from us. What was it like growing up with a relative in the security forces? Were children aware of the risks? And what's it like to lose a relative to gunmen, in some cases, in front of your eyes. His head was bandaged, which really is, and then it was the first, it was the first dead body I'd seen as well. I'm Kirsten Elder. I spoke to four people who had lost family members during the Troubles. They told me about their loved ones and how they died, how they feel about that loss and the peace process. Whether there's pieces of the Confederate Agreement, you'll find quite unpalatable, you know, like watching, you know, murderers get out of prison. In this episode, I spoke to Shane Laverty, whose brother Robert was an RUC officer and murdered in 1972, just months out of the academy. So I was um, 10 whenever my brother was killed. I can recall it vividly. Um, I was in a room with my brother, um, two single beds either side of the room, and my sister came in. She was unaware that I was just lying in bed awake, but not not you know moving. Um, she went to her brother Terry, and she shook him, and I realised very quickly that she was upset. And she said, Terry, something awful has happened. It's Robert. And she said, Robert's been killed. 
and Terry jumped up. And of course, obviously, when I heard that, I jumped up too. And uh, the news was, was broken to us. But I recall them getting dressed that morning and I went out of the house. Uh, somehow I slipped out of the house because there was a lot of busyness around the house that morning. It was a scorching July day. Um, and it, it was Robert had been killed at a few minutes after midnight, uh, the 15th of July, um, into the 16th of July. And someone decided. Um, at that time that it would be best if the two youngest weren't around. That has left a void in my life which I have always sought to fill with information. And hence you've got photographs from press and press cuttings from that time. And because had I been exposed to that at that time, I may have been able to satisfy my mind as to what had happened, what was going on. I don't like the fact that there are gaps in relation to Robert's death. And so I suppose I still seek to find out um, what happened and I guess also I'm doing this interview because um, if I don't do things like this Robert's name is forgotten and Robert didn't go out to um, harm anyone in his work he left a very good apprenticeship in Monsanto and Coleraine as, a, as an engineer he decided to go to the police force and for him it was about going to help others and in fact as I ended up in a nationalist part of Belfast um, and to be seen to be doing some good work um, the irony was that he chose the worst year of the Troubles, 1972 The death toll in Northern Ireland in 1972 reached 467 more than three times the total for the three preceding years put the night that he was killed, there was a call to attend a burglary in a, a garage up the Antrim Road. And what the ATT have informed us uh, was that an ambush had been set up for an army patrol. And when the police car came along, they were opportunists at that moment. They saw the police car and they thought, why wait for an army patrol? We'll hit the police car. And so they attacked the police car. Um, Robert was shot in the back seat went unconscious and never recovered um, but of course then the question around that very incident in my mind right away was well if they knew that an ambush had been set up for an army patrol and Robert's patrol incidentally moved into that area uh, they must have known uh, from someone that this incident was going to happen and so therefore was there an informant on the, the side of the terrorists who had given them that information. And so that opens up a whole area of subterfuge that she was never had answers to. And the involvement of potentially special branch and uh, handlers. So um, we've never had any um, kind of uh, closure to any of that or any of those questions. So that door's still wide open. And certainly the agreement hasn't uh, given us any closure in terms of Robert's death. I can certainly understand people who say, you need to move on, because there's lots of people who say that on a daily basis whenever it comes to folk like us who are classed as victims. We don't see ourselves as victims by choice. We, we were thrown into a circumstance. We were, we were created by the system. We were created by criminals. 
who went out to murder policemen that night. Victimhood is not a term that we choose to put on ourselves. We're overcomers. We're not forthright and, and full of a loud voice in that we don't go seeking after government institutions uh, to pay us compensation, although I think uh, at times that it's very unfair that civil cases can be taken as a result of um, people's murder during the Troubles, often against the government, and there are huge sums paid out and huge sums given out on um, inquiries, let's just say, in tribunals. Now, I suppose one of the, the sad developments for us has been the legacy bill and the, how the, the victims have been conflated with the the armed forces um, um, incidents and those two things have been brought together where I feel they should have been kept apart um, because now the door is being closed on Robert's case we're not seeking after uh, a person or persons to have them to flogged or have them <laughs> go under the knife whatever, that's not what it's about it's about filling in the gaps and in fact if I had an opportunity to speak to Robert's murderer today, I probably would be sharing my faith with that person. I'm not telling you I would be his best friend, or her best friend, whoever it may be. Um, but I would share my faith because what we were told at that time was it was 18-year-olds, roughly. There were three seen running away from the scene. So those fellas now would be just short of 70. So they're probably still alive. And if those people have not repented of the the crime that they committed that day, well, they're going to have a, a sad eternity. That's all I can say. Would you like to talk to them? I would love it. Yeah, I would love to talk to them. Uh, are they brave enough um, to come and speak to my me and my family? Um, I'll throw that out there to them. Are you brave enough? And we'll have a conversation and let's hear what you have to say. You have nothing to fear from me. Um, just my words. I'm not going to shout, I'm just going to talk. So, my tears are not a sign of weakness. My tears are a sign of empathy, let me say, and emotion um, for lives that have been upset and destroyed because of the kind of the wanton destructiveness of, of minds that are so underdeveloped that they can't see that their course of action is totally futile. It has achieved nothing to this day. But yet, um, in terms of that Republican violence, and um, it just seems to me that over the period of time from the agreement to now, we just have had IRA morphing into new IRA, into, into real IRA, into continuity IRA. Whatever it is, it's IRA. It doesn't make any difference. It's terrorism, and it's people here bringing wanton destruction and heartache, uh, not only to people from... Uh, say the security forces or whatever it's bringing it to their own community because it's part of the investigation that security force people will have to go into certain areas to look for evidence and that's causing disruption to the whole community and people are going to get angry and then that becomes opportune for um, again folk to use it to stir up angst against the, uh, the people here tried to solve the problem that was caused by these very people. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy 
and a never-ending set of circles that just go on and on and on. Do you think there's any point in uh, making a big deal out of the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement? At the time I voted for the agreement, let's just say, but I agonised over um, whether I should or not. And at the time, what I felt was that this was going to be a great sign of hope. Um, this was going to be uh, the peaceful solution that we all wanted. Um, on reflection now, I guess, I, I feel that it was sold to perhaps the unionist people as um, the end result, um, that, that that would sort of signify the end of all hostilities. Um, and it was sold, I think, to um, perhaps nationalist Republican folk as part of a process. And I guess um, I didn't know that at the time. And having seen the working out of the agreement, I feel that's what has happened. Um, so I feel a little let down um, by um, the way it has evolved, let's say, over the, over the years. I mean, don't get me wrong, the relative peace that we have had has been amazing. And um, we have stammered forward a couple of steps and then we've fallen back a few steps and then we've gone forward a bit more. So we're still stuttering and stammering our way through what is a, a process. Um, but um, ironically, we're sitting here having this conversation today, having just heard the news that a PSNI officer um, was tragically shot last night in Oma. Well, huge concern here in Oma tonight. This gun attack took place at this sporting complex behind me on the edge of town at around 8 o'clock tonight. The target, a police officer. We understand it's quite a senior So that officer. makes it very real to me. Um, I, I, I actually was quite emotional when I heard that because um, I was pulling out some photographs um, in relation to my own brother's murder and it brought it back and it brought back um, I suppose I thought about that kid his child who, who was there and witnessed it those um, scenes that he witnessed will never leave him that's with him for life um, through good times and bad times and how that is going to affect him down the line none of us know um, so there are still those who are on that other side of the fence for whom the agreement clearly meant nothing. It's part of a process, and in their minds, their their process has not been fulfilled, and they're continuing on with the bomb and the bullet, as it were. Uh, whereas the rest of us decided to go down the peaceful um, route. It's been over fifty years since the death of Robert, but I ask Shane. Does he still have hope for justice for his brother? The sense of justice um, has been eradicated to a large extent because of the legacy bill, which now may or may not go through Parliament. I don't know what's going to happen with it. We are not seeking justice in terms of retribution because we know that even if a person was to come down and admit to it, they wouldn't even get two years because of the agreement uh, that was made, the Belfast Agreement. And we're not seeking to to put them behind bars, but we're seeking for justice to be done, to be seen to be done after all this time. Because the precedent that this is setting is a very dangerous one. For example, 
The people who carried out the act last night, maybe in their minds, they're thinking, it's alright boys, we can get away with this. The previous lot got away with it. They'll come round, the same things will apply for us. Justice will not be served, and law and order and justice can, cannot be separated. They must be very stringently kept together, and um, for, a, for a country to function where there's no justice, it's going to be very difficult. Um, you see the breakdown of law and order, because people then feel the moral code gets thinner and thinner and thinner. People then feel that they can do what they like. So if people want to come to the countryside to my house and, and take some sort of revenge on me, they can do it with impunity, they think, because um, our justice system appears to be weakened and getting weaker by the day. So the whole sense of justice is one which needs to be ironed out and, and really nailed, in my opinion. My case, along with a whole lot of others from the early 70s and through the trouble, it's not going to be heard, my, my brother's case, because they've decided you're victims, but you're a different type of victim from this victim over here, and so the, the rules are different for you than they are for them, and that's unfair. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kirsten Elder. The clips you heard were from AP and the BBC. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.